In this episode of New Abolitionist Radio, Tag leads us in an interview with Sarajuddin Basir and his mother's sister Basir to give us an update and some of the details of his wrongful conviction on an attempted murder charge in a bench trial where the guilty verdict was in direct contradiction to the evidence and testimony given by various law enforcement officers, including video evidence from a body camera worn by one of the arresting officers. Sarajuddin Basir also gave a trial but not uncommon report about Pendleton Correctional Facility in Indiana in relation to the prison's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. This is followed up with information from Bailey of the New York City Chapter of Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, which has been organizing actions on behalf of prisoners seeking relief for them during this pandemic in New York. As y'all may know, uh, we had spoken with Sispa Seer about her son, who's been wrongfully incarcerated and is currently in Indiana due to said wrongful incarceration. And we've gotten recent updates with regard to this outbreak that's been going on and how it's affected the facility uh, where he is currently in Indiana. And uh, we want to just elaborate on those updates now, and then we can just refresh everyone or provide information for those who haven't heard yet about what happened with this case, what was wrong about this case, and the conditions that you're facing inside today, Sirajuddin. Okay, how y'all doing? Um, right as of right now, as far as the conditions in here, um, on April the eighth, it was a guy up in the American Legion. He's one of the guys from the the outside that helps them as far as making masses and and other things. He exposed maybe twenty six inmates because he's right now. His name is uh staff member King. He exposed 26 inmates. They quarantined those inmates and, and locked them in the Legion, um, the American Legion building. Okay. But these masses, they didn't tell nobody to wash. So they passed out all these masses to every inmate, every offender. And one of the guys that the guy, Mr. King, exposed to was upstairs. Um, he, he, t- he tested, uh, let me rephrase it, he had respiratory problems and he had fevers. So they quarantined him, but they had him in a dorm with like almost a hundred people. So now, as of today, um, they did the the fever test on maybe four to eight people upstairs, and twenty three out of the forty eight they had to move in quarantine because they had high fevers, they had respiratory problems, someone was throwing up, and it literally like maybe ten minutes ago they they're actually in the process of doing it as we speak. But ten minutes ago they moved like 23 of them, they don't have no, they didn't try to prevent the, 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 the coming and going, the staff members. Matter of fact, they just had people that they was moving that was exposed to the virus running in and out in the, in the dormitories. We had to tell someone, get up out of here, man. If y'all exposed, don't come in here. We, we appreciate it. So, I be, far, mm-hmm. yes, no, no, please continue. Okay, as far as my incarceration is, I was up here on really vacation on a weekend and got caught up in some type of drugs thing. And I'm, I'm not perfect. Uh, I, I, I smoked marijuana when I was younger. and But I was trying to buy some marijuana for someone. And I had somebody in the car with me that was on the run, had a warrant out of Georgia. But we was riding around and they called it Kokomo, Indiana. And we was smoking marijuana in the car. The car was pulled over. There's no weapon in the car. Um, and the guy that was driving, the one we bought the marijuana from, the local dope boy, drug dealer, that his whole family was up with wiretaps, federal wiretaps. At the time, we bought the marijuana from, smoked the marijuana, and we went into a restaurant eight. On our way, him dropping us back off to the hotel room, the police pulled us over, um, stopped us, searched the car down, there's no weapon in the car, locked me up and charged me with attempted murder. They convicted me of it. Um, nobody got shot. Nobody was killed. No gun was fired. There was no gun in the car on our person. They went back to a hotel room that was registered somebody else's name and found a weapon in there. No fingerprints, no DNA on them, and charged me with attempted murder. And I've been sitting here fighting. No doubt. And so greatly appreciate 
you're you're just giving that summary and we know in talks with Sisbasir, uh, you know, over over the months that there are so many irregularities, so much wrong, you know, with with this case. So it would be great to elaborate on some of that soon, but just just to revisit what you brought out with regard to this outbreak and and how they're treating it uh, right now where you are. Uh, in so many accounts from inside, we're hearing about heads being quarantined or this concept of quarantine occurring uh, either around uh, several people, you, you said about 100 people, or, or in, in places that have been closed down in solitary, you know, uh, essentially not in any kind of facility that could be imagined as a secure and healthy place for a quarantine to occur. So could you just speak a bit more about that, about how they're going about moving people with regard to this virus, and if if that's in any way helping to stave off the spread? That, well, let me rephrase that. The, the message they, they're doing, they're going about the procedures, they're going about, it's not quarantining nobody. They're just basically throwing whoever they feel have been exposed to the virus into a room, and maybe 23, 24, it's almost like leaving you for dead. Almost like the strong survive. They're not giving you no type of medicine. They're not, they're not trying to help you do anything. They're just throwing you in a room. Well, let me remove you away from these people that that you have already been around, that you have symptoms, so I'm going to move you over here. Well, what about the other 40, 50 people that I've been around for a couple of weeks? They had two people in, in the same unit I'm in right now. They had two people mm. that was in the uh, American legions that was around the guy who tested positive for the coronavirus. One of them, um, like I said, they sent him to the free world and quarantined him, but before they snatched the two guys that was uh, in, in this unit, they was in here for like three days before they even removed him. They don't have, they don't have no no type of, really a quarantine thing. It's just remove y'all and throw y'all over here. That's it. It's, it's not even quarantine. And then as they removing them, you allow them to run around and, 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 and touch and, 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 and go all around other people, other norms. You're not quarantining nobody. Basically help to spread it. And so just just to take a step back as far as this uh, legion is concerned, the American legion, and, and how they found their way into the facility in the first place, uh, is this a, could you tell us a bit more about this group? And is this a group that has a formal relationship with the prison, or is it more informal? Think, how do they how do they get in there to be you know uh, exposing y'all like this? Okay, I think mm -hmm. it's more they they cater to uh, veterans, army veterans that's uh, either inmates, offenders. Uh, and like it's like almost like a group, or a club, or whatever. And one of the guys from outside that has helped build this, he was exposed to it, and he came. He tested positive. For the coronavirus, uh, I know in the last month, I'm gonna say two staff members have um, a guy in maintenance. I don't know his name, uh, his last name, but the guy King, the one that's American Legion, he's the one that's from the free world outside that exposed all the inmates. But I don't know if it's a formal group. I don't too much know anything about it. It's not they just have like a building for them. It's like almost like a club, like a motorcycle club or something that caters to veteran inmates. And and you you were talking about how they were manufacturing these masks that were then distributed and and had like had definitely been exposed to this individual who who had it who uh, was positive yes, for this for this extremely virulent uh, fast spreading virus. So do they? Yes, sir. They ship some of the masks to the free world. And and, and so that that. Um, in this same county, Madison County, um, I think it was on the news maybe a week or two ago that it's a uh, elderly home up the street, about 10, 15 miles up the street. They had almost 11, either 11 or 13 people um, pass. They died in that um, elderly home in this same county. So, and I mean, we know in part because uh, among other places uh, here on uh, Black Talk Radio Network, uh, many reports have come out about uh, white supremacists intentionally calling for the intentional spread of this virus, 
going as far as to say that it would be their duty to to do so to spread the virus to those communities that that such groups tend to target so uh one i i would just like to know is this usual that this uh group would be manufacturing items to be distributed inside of the prison and also could you just uh elaborate a bit on how it is inside as far as as far as the 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 racial atmosphere and what you've experienced in that regard inside if if you would care to share any of that okay the racial atmosphere as of right now is everybody's scared to be honest with you whether you black white chinese um mexican uh spanish asian they they everybody's scared it's just this is a, a pandemic and as far as the white supremacist I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I know it's, it's it's one of the lieutenants down here that made the statement. Well, I should have told y'all to wash those masks off before I hand them out to you. So it's it's just like you playing with our lives. Like, oh well, that's my fault. That's what he said. I should have told y'all to wash the mask off before I gave it to you. That's my fault. But you just exposed probably 99.9% of the compound to this this virus that this individual up here in this building making these masks and you still pass them out. They don't care. They they, they literally don't care. It's like, oh well. And Roger Dean, would you like to say what they gave you? I'm sorry, Brother Tiger, let me interview. Would you, so you ex did they ever give sanitizer? What besides, in addition to the mask, what, did, what you told me that they gave you? Um, They passed out individual bars of soap. They didn't give nobody else no hand sanitizer, no medicine, no no nothing. They just walked around and passed out soap, told everybody wash your hands. That's it, one bar of soap to each uh offender, each inmate. Nothing else. And just almost like you're being left for dead, literally. Like, hey. So so this group that, that made these masks, are there other items that they have made and distributed before this? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know they have like food drives, um, They'll have like uh, Kroger sales. They'll sell you items from from stores that they get. Or uh, not 100 percent sure they passed out any other items though. I just we just learned about the masks when one of the individuals that was working up there. They kept him working, working hard, and over time he told us, well, uh, one of the same ones they quarantined. They exposed him to it. He was like before he left. Like they've been having us work long hours to make masks and to send out to the the world, free world, and then they're gonna pass them out to uh, the offenders, the inmates there. And do you know if they were getting paid for this labor, the those that were on the inside? Oh, uh, they 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 pay you probably a state pay, um, ten cent or twenty cent an hour. You, I know that you were experiencing some some uh, difficulties uh, physically. Uh, shortly after the distribution of the masks, are you still experiencing that? And uh, are others around you um, having those same kinds of um, issues? I know that you mentioned the fever and, and um, heads are throwing up. Um, is is the chest pain um, issue still still a problem? Yeah, my since the eighth, my chest been burning. Um, I've been drinking water, taking vitamin C pills, um, and, and doing my best pumping Tylenol so I won't contract anything but three other people in, in this unit has has had the same problems but most of it is upstairs where one of the guys that actually had the virus that was exposed to the guy named King from um the American Legion. Most of them are upstairs. That's the one they just quarantined today. But okay, since the eighth they've been sitting in the dorm, they locked the dorm down, just left them in the dorm. So you didn't quarantine them from the eighth until now? That's four days. So you left them around maybe a hundred inmates. It's, it's probably everybody up there is probably exposed. Right. And have you seen uh, that they're actually testing anyone for the specific the nurse came by? Mm -hmm. You know that the nurse came by with a thermometer and, and checked their temperatures. Some of them had a hundred and five. One of them, he was laid on the bed. They said he had like a hundred and twenty sweat and he couldn't stop. He was having a um, probably breathing. They rushed him out. Mm. But but you haven't seen them uh, giving any of the specific tests for the virus itself, only for the symptoms. Is that right? Yes, sir. They're not giving no one any tests. 
not going in the nasal or anything with a swab, because that's how they test for corona uh, COVID. They they just taking temperatures. If you have a high temperature and uh, problems breathing, they quarantine you. Just take you from one place to another. Unreal. They they basically again like they are leaving us for dead. And Indiana Department of Corrections. I I would certainly um you know like to hear Brother Scotty if you had any any questions on this or or anyone else uh, on the call. Uh, but I I would just I can't help but wonder. Um, because obviously they're showing such a lack of concern for y'all. What about those, the, the overseers and, and, and staff, et, et cetera, that are in there? Are, is there concern being shown for them? Are they taking this seriously, given what how... they do for staff-wise is if they, if they have a high temperature, high fever or whatever, they won't, they won't allow them to come in. They'll tell them, you know, leave out, we'll come back the next day or... I'll go get yourself checked, and you know, a couple of days later they let him back in. That's how that guy King came in there. Wow! Right. Even though we're hearing that the the period uh, the period during which you you could be spreading this could go uh, as high as uh, 20, 20 days. You know, three weeks after after you've first contracted it. So yeah. to 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 just leave someone out for a few days and bring them back in is really uh, doing more harm than good without question. Well, I'll also be um, doing another report in this episode uh, coming out of Rikers. And it just seemed to your question about staff members, um, you know, you got the Benevolent Association of Correction Officers. I'm not sure if that's the exact name, but, you know, the union that they have, um, they've been complaining, um, saying that they're being forced to work. Um, even though their doctors have, their personal doctors, family doctors have told them that they need to go into quarantine and that they're still making them come to work and what have you. So it sounds like the same thing might be going on there in Indiana at the facility you are at. And if you could, um, I don't know if you stated it earlier, what is the name of the facility you are in? Pendleton Correctional Facility. Okay. So it, so it sounds like the same lack of concern for human beings all around, whether it be uh, the incarcerated or the staff, it just doesn't seem to be any true concern. And I agree with your earlier yes, assessment and others I have that I have had occasion to speak with on the inside are, are saying it seems to them that they're trying to intentionally spread it, you know, by their actions. So, you know, that just yes, what yes, echoes sir. what you Absolutely. said earlier. So I know that, that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Oh, please, please continue. I know, I know that your minutes is limited right now. So, no, I was agreeing with him 100%. That's what it feels like. That's what it seems like. This is, this is an everyday thing that, that we're living in here that literally they don't care. It's like, again, it's like they, they, they're trying to intentionally get you sick, uh, trying to intentionally kill you, basically. I'll leave you for dead. It's, and they had all time to prepare for this. They had plenty of time to prepare for this, and they didn't. Supervisor, so, would you like to explain um, to fight two sons not getting off the track in regards to the racial disparity in there where, you know, our, our people of color over, that are incarcerated are more overworked than, than the, their, their white counterparts that are incarcerated along with them? Of course, of course. <laughs> um, it was the people of uh, minorities, people of color, Spanish people, they, they do majority of the work when they'll, they'll put, just say they'll put like uh, uh, a, a white counterpart in a position where he doesn't know what he's doing. But you'll come along and, and this is your profession on the street. You're not going to get that position. They're going to give it to him and have him stand there and, and, and watch you, watch you work, and ain't nothing going to be said. That's every day. That's, that's, yeah, that's every day. It's, it's, it's to the point where you expect it now. And, and, that's, and it's, it's tragic how, how often we see that throughout these, these prison plantations across the country. And I'm wondering if you could just speak to how that, how that impacted your case uh, moving through the courts and uh, just throughout this process 
how how this this question of of unequal uh, racist policies and and practices there in Indiana impacted your case. Okay, during my trial, you had DEA agents, you had drug task force agents get on a stand and, and, and admit now. Mr. Kadir wasn't committing any crime. Now they didn't do anything. We stopped them and watched them eat in a restaurant for 45 minutes and drive off. Then we stopped the car. Um, there was no weapon in the car. The judge got up there, uh, Judge Brent J. Perry, and said, now the whole traffic stop is on officer's body cam. They searched his car down six times and found no weapon in the car. He said, one of the reasons I'm finding you guilty because you had a loaded 9mm handgun and extended clip up under your knee in the back seat of this car. Just deliver. Just lie. It's, it's in the transcript. I'm sorry. This, this is Scotty again. So the DEA agents, let's just say law enforcement, got testified that no weapon was found. And then, so this must have been a, bench, a, a bench trial and not a jury trial. And the judge, yes, sir. And the judge just said this, contrary to what the testimony was from law enforcement, was that you had a weapon. It was a weapon found inside of a hotel room. They stopped us in a traffic stop. We had been in that hotel room earlier. Right. The, the hotel room was registered to a female, and when they stopped the car, searched the car down six times. There's no gun in the car. There's a loaded nine millimeter magazine. And it was the uh, owner of the cars. The DEA states that, no, nah, Mr. Kadir. You have one minute remaining. His co-defendants did not commit a crime. And the evidence on a video off the body cam shows that there was no weapon inside the car, period. And his judge still puts a weapon in the car up under my leg. Just blankly lying. His phone's going to hang up. Y'all I love you, son. So I'm like, well, I'll my slide up, slide the car. So thank you, Scotty. Uh, I appreciate y'all. Y'all take care. Bailey, thank you. Uh, the other brother, I, I'm, I'm kind of bad with names, but y'all take care. Stay safe. That was Siraj Adin, who is the son of Sis Basir, who we've been in discussion with around his wrongful incarceration out in Indiana, giving us a direct report from inside a Pendleton correctional facility where this outbreak seems to be spreading uh, in part through its being uh, brought into the facility by outside groups that have some kind of relationship with the facility, uh, an American Legion group. So we will certainly continue to follow up on that development and find out how we can continue to support our, our brother Siraj Adin, who is in need of real uh, strong legal representation right now. And we have a fundraising page link available where uh, heads can contribute to that um, if they're able to. We're speaking with Bailey, who is a comrade at IWOC NYC, and we're looking to discuss some ongoing outside support with regard to this outbreak and how it's devastating uh, the communities on the inside, particularly given the complete lack of concern that's shown uh, toward their lives by slavers uh, across the country. And so uh, Bailey was going to discuss with us uh, some of the response that's coming out of New York right now uh, from, from those on the outside and how we can uh, support those activities. So um, would you uh, introduce yourself, uh, Bailey, for those who, who may not uh, be familiar with you? Um, sure. Um, hi, I'm I'm Bailey, as Tag said, with uh, I walk in my sea. Um, I use they them pronouns, and yeah, I mean it's really been amazing uh, the scale of response from from folks out here, um, just in NYC alone, let alone across the world, um, supporting folks inside right now. Uh, you know, I feel like I could go on for quite some time <laughs> with um, the many examples of of care and solidarity uh, that we've seen. Um, I mean, just to highlight a few, folks have been sending in soap packages um, and hygienic supplies um, to those incarcerated in, in New York State. Um, you know, there's been actions outside of facilities in solidarity. Um, you know, this time as 
called upon us to be a little bit more creative in how we share presence on the ground. Uh, so folks rolling up in car lines um, and honking and making noise. <laughs> um, and then of course, just, you know, constantly calling legislators and um, prison administrators and governmental organizations, uh, putting pressure on um, facilities to take action because otherwise um, things would just totally fly under the radar um, and we would see it an accelerated. Um, yeah, I mean, basically it's just a time bomb of, you know, mass death um, without our intervention. So um, yeah, there's, there's much more. That's just a brief sweep of, um, yeah, current acts happening in New York specifically. So fully appreciate that. And just to focus in on this particular moment, because of course we know how much greater these issues that we face on the outside uh, impact those on the inside, especially with regard to health and the, the, the rampant inequality that we see uh, in, inside of these prison plantations across the country. Now that we're in this moment where there's so much focus on health and wellness, uh, have you seen any uh, further support from the outside with regard to uh, issues of prison slavery, perhaps from sectors that uh, were not so focused uh, on these issues before? Right. Um, yeah, it definitely has been um, heartening to see how prominent this has been in conversation with folks on the outside who, you know, maybe um, aren't involved regularly um, in, yeah, abolitionist struggles or, um, yeah, thinking about this um, on a daily basis. So I think it's uh, the, you know, so-called emergency of this moment, which, you know, we all know uh, it's always an emergency when you're incarcerated, you're constantly in crisis. Um, but yeah, there's been a shift in perception for folks who may not have been following as closely um, over, you know, the past decades, um, how, yeah, you know, dangerous and deadly these systems are. Um, that's become abundantly clear uh, in this current moment. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the response um, obviously is, is will always need to be stronger uh, in order to ensure folks' safety, but um, at least on my end, have been seeing a fair amount of media um, and general conversation around it. And, you know, perhaps I can pose the same question to you, Tag, <laughs> uh, if, if, if you'd like to add on to anything that, that you've witnessed. Um, yeah, that will have, you know, could have more immediate material effects on, on people's health right now. Um, and I mean, of course, I guess uh, I can't go without mentioning the mass releases that have been happening um, more so abroad, some in the United States, but that's obviously um, pretty unprecedented. Um, and yeah, just critical to note um, and how we're responding to this um, and what demands we're making moving forward. Yeah, yeah. It's so there. There are so many who refer to whether you want to call it a crisis or catastrophe as as these so-called uh, great equalizers, and there there are all sorts of issues with with those with that kind of phrasing or framing of of these scenarios. But I I would say uh, as as you were pointing toward, there does seem to be certain increased attention uh, with regard to the broader population uh, on questions of, of imprisonment and incarceration and, and how that experience may could be from, from this vantage point of those who have never experienced it or perhaps rarely even think about it. And as you point toward, you know, it is a global issue where we're able to see more clearly uh, the, the various impacts and the various responses and reactions to different carceral systems. Uh, and mm. as is often the case uh, here in the US where prison slavery is completely legalized, we're, we're seeing uh, some of the worst reactions and some of, the, some of the most reactionary 
responses uh, uh, across the globe. Um, that said, you know, uh, there, Albert Woodfox, for example, of the Angola Three, um, recently pointed toward the fact that the the broader population is getting, you know, a small a small fraction of what the experience of solitary confinement um, is like. You know, ha being the the longest held uh, solitary confinement victim uh, in history, uh, to to our knowledge, at least mm -hmm. in this current uh, prison slavery context. So it's it, it, it does appear to be uh, allowing some more clarity uh, to, to a larger uh, sector of the population. Uh, but at the same time, in some ways, perhaps there, there is so, it's become so normalized that certain, certain individuals and groups be uh, incarcerated and enslaved that there needs to always be that sensationalism in order for people to care. Uh, I, I would point toward this example of uh, the, the mass graves that are being dug by enslaved laborers um, on Hart Island. So uh, there, are, there are scholars like Sadia Hartman, for example, who have uh, pointed to the fact that given, given how uh, clear and abundant the material is on, on the terror and the horrors of enslavement that uh, to, to a certain degree, we become uh, immune to it or we, we become uh, desensitized to these horrors. Uh, do, do you see that as applying to uh, contemporary prison slavery as well, where uh, it becomes so normalized that, that heads who are incarcerated are dehumanized and, and face uh, constant terror that that it becomes that much more difficult to mobilize uh, responses from the broader public. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I it's so deeply embedded um, that you know that that working uh, is like somehow you know bettering someone's character um, and and not you know obviously a way for people to derive profit um and i think that narrative is is really strong um i mean it, even in like some articles around this um the the mass graves with rikers you know their folks are being paid six dollars and people are like wow at least they're being paid like you know I, you know double triple however much they're normally paid to do this in this moment it's like no six dollars is still like not minimum wage um and that's like backbreaking work um so yeah it's it's really hard to um transform those narratives that have been held for so long i mean you know this is a legacy of cattle slavery we're talking about so um yeah it's it's a lot to undo in this moment but also i think this moment is providing some opportunities to um expand that narrative um through you know how folks are recognizing um, what really is essential labor and um, how folks are you know despairingly compensated uh, for um, you know nurses grocery workers um, all of these folks that are running our society right now um, yeah I, I think to you know seeing you know incarcerated folks manufacturing hand sanitizer and and digging these graves it, it it, it's really laying plain, um, yeah, that labor is labor <laughs> and um, deserves to be compensated uh, in in fair ways, you know. Um, so hopefully there's a bridge there uh, to yeah, demand more um, in the end, of course, <laughs> of um, prison slavery. Absolutely. And so speaking to this expanded narrative and how we can support the expansion of said narrative toward the dissolution of slavery, we know that there are some activities being planned for uh, just this upcoming week uh, for the 17th, which uh, happens also to be Palestinian Prisoners Day. Uh, could you Tell us a bit about uh, what we might could expect for April 17th and, and how can we be in support and solidarity for these activities? Right. Um, yeah, so there's um, 
you know, a, a lot of groups are coming together um, to build out this, this day of action. Um, we feel it's important. Um, we picked April 17th, of course, um, as Palestinian Prisoner Day to, you know, connect our struggles. Um, you know, there's folks striking at Rikers right now. There's folks striking at over prison in the West Bank. Um, and a lot of the demands coming out um, are the same. So really uplifting those demands um, and, you know, being on the ground of, in New York City, uh, supporting folks in local facilities, um, you know, we're hoping to have some sort of presence um, and be able to, you know, allow folks to recognize that there are people outside who are paying attention, um, that, you know, we're hearing their demands and we're doing our best to amplify um, and just help folks, you know, know that they're not alone. Um, and also, we'll be having some phone zaps prepared for the day of targeting local facilities to New York City. Um, of course, a lot of what we'll be asking for um, regionally applies um, across the U.S. and, you know, and the world. Um, so, you know, we'll have a couple zaps prepared um, to target specific facilities, but, you know, I think it's important for folks to know that there's, um, you know, you can follow groups from all around the country um, who are also promoting SAPs. Um, yeah, just, yeah, we've just got to be attacking officials on every level everywhere. Um, and with that being said, there's also, um, with the Sami Dun Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity um, Week of Action, uh, which it will be running from April 10th, Monday through Friday the 17th. Um, they also have some phone saps that you can find on their website, um, which is samidun.net, um, S-A-M-I-D-O-U-N.net, um, to, you know, target government uh, to take action against, um, yeah, incarcerating Palestinians and, um, yeah, just like Zionist repression. Uh, so I think all of those are things that we're hoping to tie together um, and, you know, get as many folks to come together uh, and take action on Friday. Uh, yes. <laughs> no doubt. And, and we know that that kind of international solidarity, especially with the Palestinian struggle, and as, as it relates to slave patroller, terror, uh, police repression and terror uh, goes, goes way back and, and has been um, strengthening over the years. Now, the phones app uh, seems to be really, as far as the abolitionist arsenal is concerned, uh, <laughs> gaining you know, a, a, a good deal of traction, uh, especially in this context of, of the outbreak where, where so many of us are uh, being confined to uh, particular areas and, and, and many of us are not outdoors nearly as much as in recent months and years. Uh, could you just speak to the phones app uh, in general, uh, those that may not have participated or maybe have never heard of this? Uh, what, what is a phones app and what have been your experiences with that as a tactic to support uh, heads inside of prison plantations? Right. Yeah. Thank you for that question. I feel like it's Im important to uh, break it down because um, I still need it broken down for me a lot of times. It's, it's um, yeah, because it can be really intense um, when, you know, it, when you're calling up facilities, um, basically a good way to, to get folks' attention and like force people to take action is to just um, kind of annoy the, yeah, just annoy them. <laughs> and, call and call and call and call. Um, so we've been calling prison facilities. Um, and, you know, the more people who can call with a specific demand, um, the more likely they are to A, hear it and B, do something about it. Um, because, you know, it, it's, it's interrupting their flow um, of, you know, whatever administrative duties they're carrying out. Um, so yeah, it's just essentially it's just a tactic for putting pressure on um, personnel, staff, um, or government officials. I mean, there's 
you know, it, it really depends on where you're, who you're targeting. Um, uh, and that depends case by case uh, on what's needed, what kind of action is, is needed. So, you know, when people are writing SAPs, you know, we think about whether it makes more sense to target facilities directly or legislators um, or oversight committees, you know. So, um, you know, every SAP is, uh, has a different context, uh, but overall it's just really, you know, making demands clear to people um, on the other end of the line and not backing down, just being um, really adamant that, you know, people are going to keep calling until we hear that um, something has changed um, in, you know, our loved ones or community members, whoever we're calling on behalf of in their um, conditions. So, um, yeah, and, and from my experience, it, you know, it, it, it does work. <laughs> and as you call through the day, if you call later in the day, sometimes you can hear tones of voice have changed and people are getting frustrated um, and like breaking down a bit um, on their rigidness to hold, hold to um, these like oppressive, uh, yeah, just actions they're taking against people. So um, there is definitely the possibility transform people's material conditions if we all just like really stick it to them um, so yeah and again as Tag mentioned right now with a lot of us being um, quarantined um, and unable to move you know it's it's a really powerful way to take action remotely um, so yeah so we're excited to um, you know have these apps we're planning for Friday um, out um, in the world soon <laughs> so that people can start preparing um and yeah it, it, it was also really crucial that we all are calling uh at a concentrated time period um that makes it all the more effective so you know if folks are able to take some time on friday um there's a real potential uh for change um and you know saving lives in this moment it's really urgent so Without question, and and thank you for those particulars and the change in tone. These these kinds of uh, affective signals can can be extremely uh, reassuring that what we're doing out here is having an impact. And so I appreciate your your sharing uh, some of those experiences. And so uh, especially for those who may not have partaken in a phones app, uh, we know that the the broader population and especially, you know, uh, those communities uh, and individuals who are targeted the most out here um, are often so terror stricken by uh, prison slavery and its apparatus in general that you know, uh, most most of us, many of us want no parts whatsoever to do with any any of it and, you know, would hesitate to contact a prison plantation, for example, or to make a call on behalf of uh, enslaved populations, um, not wanting not wanting those uh, the kinds of problems that we tend to associate with with speaking up uh, about these kinds of questions. So um, to, to help to allay some of those concerns. Do you have any pointers as to how uh, heads might go about um, that communication uh, and feel uh, less concerned or to allay some of those, uh, some of that hesitation? Do you have, it's, it can sometimes help to have some, some sense of, of what to expect perhaps or, or some, some way that might prove effective uh, when you're making that call uh, as not to as not to lose um, that sense of of purpose. Do you have any any pointers uh, that that might could help someone for that first phone zap call that that they may make after hearing this discussion? Um, yeah, uh, I can I can share a few things I've learned though. Would love to hear from you, Tag, as well, because I know that you have a lot of experience um, making these calls as well. But um, yeah, I think you know it's really important to not be fooled by, you know, whatever language they're using, um, narratives they're spewing to um, obscure the truth coming from inside, um, because they will deny everything. Um, so it's really important to stick to um, the information that we've garnered from inside comrades, because um, obviously they know what they're experiencing. 
Um, so yeah, people on the phone will essentially try and gaslight you. Um, but you know, you just really have to um, keep repeating, you know, well, that's not what I've heard. This is, you know, what's coming from inside. Um, even when they say they, they don't know anything about the situation. Um, just like, well, this is what I know. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think, you know, it, it's just important to know going in that um, there you will be faced with, with denial and outright lies. Um, but yeah, just gotta keep cool, speak slowly. Uh, and yeah, just, you know, just stick to your guns, I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Tag, I don't know if there's anything you would like to add. Well, definitely feel what you were saying. And I would just say, especially those with loved ones on the inside, just recognize that, that you have a particular rights to this kind of information as to how your loved ones are doing mm. and, and what the conditions are on the inside. So just, you know, to, to stand firm. On, on those rights and, and familiarize yourself with them, uh, that, that, that being one. And also, even if you don't have a direct familial connection with someone on the inside, just recognize that the fact that you are concerned about heads who are under uh, literal enslavement is enough as a member of the broader community that's referred to as the U.S. or, or however they want to refer to it, and, and not to allow um, as, as you said, Bailey, uh, for, for these various characters that might pick up on the phone to uh, shake that resolve because, you know, that's what part of their, of their job, um, sadly, is, is to shake that resolve, is to maintain as much, uh, as much silence from the inside and, and from the outside as possible and to completely sever you know, the, um, those connections and that communication. And also, um, and this has been discussed uh, on New Abolitionist Radio and, and on uh, Black Talk Radio Network a number of times, as best you can, and if, if you have the resources to do so, and there are many that are available for free online, uh, record these conversations, because sometimes mm -hmm. these, uh, these slavers do slip up and, and they may uh, reveal information that, that could prove useful um, down the line. And, you know, sometimes they, they resort to uh, less codified uh, language when, when they feel as though they're being pressed by, by this kind of, um, you know, sustained outside pressure. So um, all, of the, all of that could prove useful, uh, but, you know, make sure that you're familiar with the uh, laws regarding uh, recording phone co uh, conversations um, in your particular state, because it varies state to state, whether it's a one or two party state. So uh, those, those, those would be some of of the other uh, thoughts that that I would, you know, keep in mind there. But um, so just to get back to the upcoming activities, is there anything uh, that you would want to leave anyone that will be listening to this podcast with, as far as how they can be a part of it, how they can support, and where they can find uh, information and or updates moving forward in this next week or so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so much of it, um, and everyone involved with this action is already undergoing the process of educating ourselves as to how, um, you know, carceral systems are, are intimately tied around the globe, and especially between, you know, the vested interests of U.S. and, and Israel. Um, so, yeah, just, just seeing this as a, a moment to make those ties clear. Um, and yeah, I mean, on that, there's, there's a lot, you know, could stay as like a starting point. Um, but as Saraja Dean and, and brother Scotty was speaking to earlier, um, you know, it's seeing how rapidly this infection is spreading inside facilities, um, and the total disregard and, and like perhaps even intentional planting of materials to spread infection, um, yeah, it definitely um, feels like it's it's no mistake, you know, in a lot of ways. And without us um, taking a stand outside, um, taking action in some way, um, this virus will just serve in the favor um, of, you know, these like racist settler colonialist states that rely on prisons as a means of control. And 
you know, honestly, the virus will just assist their mission of disappearing marginalized folks um, and political prisoners, folks who are posing direct threats to upend these, you know, power structures. So um, I think just really being aware of um, what's at stake um, and the importance of, of really pulling through as best you're able. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be updating folks online. Um, you can follow um, IWalkNYC on Instagram and Twitter. Um, our handle is just IWOC um, underscore NYC. Um, Free Them All for Public Health is also another good um, place to get updates around abolitionist activity in this moment. And they'll also be posting updates around um, the upcoming action on the 17th. Um, and you can find them on, on Instagram as well um, at, at free them all for the number four <laughs> public health. Um, and their website is the same wording, um, free them all for number four publichealth.org. Um, there should be updates there. Um, yeah, you can also, you know, email IWOC if you would like um, to get involved with planning. Um, our email is um, IWOC.NYC at riseup.net. Um, so yeah, and then also I think I mentioned earlier, um, you know, following the um, Sami Dune um, Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network um, and their website is Sami Dune. Um, S-A-M-I-D-O-U-N dot net. Um, and um, I would definitely suggest checking them out um, starting tomorrow because they have um, actions planned for, uh, yeah, uh, every day leading up to, actually starting today, it's already happening. <laughs> so there's an action you can take every day um, that they've laid out um, leading up to the um, 17th, the Palestinian Prisoner Day. So, and um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you would like to add, Tag, or... No, that that's great. Greatly appreciated that you shared these minutes with us, and we'll make sure to post as many links as we can, speaking to the information that you've provided and the current week of action leading to Pris Palestinian Prisoners' Day uh, and the solidarity actions that are occurring uh, in New York and and globally, and uh, we will absolutely make sure to continue to update as best we can on this upcoming uh, series of activities, phones, apps on Friday. That will be also Palestinian Prisoners Day, April 17th. So uh, just much appreciated once again, and ideally uh, we'll be able to discuss with you further very soon. Yeah, thanks for taking the time as well to talk through. Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, sending sending loves and uh, yeah, just thoughts to to everyone listening as well in this time. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Abolitionist Radio, a podcast that focuses on prison slavery in the context of the 13th Amendment, which is part of the Constitution of the United States of America, which did not abolish slavery, but merely changed the setting and conditions under which one can be made a slave. Be sure to share this abolitionist podcast and subscribe for future episodes.